Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the universe, this is Roster Watch. We are students of NFL sickness. Every time we look at the television, what do we see? NFL Draft, NFL Combine, NFL Senior Bowl. These events we've been bringing to you live. I would like to be the first to announce that Roster Watch, as of today, has been officially booked to be at the Baylor Pro Day, covering for you exclusively the first time Robert Griffin III, the Heisman winning heralded quarterback out of Baylor, will be throwing in front of all 32 NFL teams. We will have all the scoop, of course, about Terrence Ganaway, about Kendall Wright, about guys like Philip Blake. We're going to have it all for you. We're here right now with our draft episode of our Tuesday podcast. We're here with NEPatriotsDraft.com's local expert and the guy who we depend on for so much of our great draft-related insight, Mr. Mike Loiko. Steering the ship as always, Byron Lambert. Fellas, I want to talk about my favorite product in the whole world. That is the NFL. For all you geeks that love the off-season action, we have it here for you. We are prepping for your fantasy football season six months before anybody else. No one else. Who does this? This is for you. We, have, we are bringing you everything live. And we want to talk to Mike Loiko about all of the risers and fallers leading up to the NFL draft. There's been a few pro days that have occurred. There's been some shifts in momentum and we want to be ahead of the curve. So Mike, we want to know who's rising, who's falling, who's had a good pro day. That way our listeners know who to start keying on in six months in advance. All right, well, just briefly, I'll touch on the guys from the combine and just get them out of the way quickly. We all saw what Stephen Hill did, the wide receiver from Georgia Tech. It looks like he's still rising. Georgia Tech had a pro day yes, today or yesterday. He basically verified his time. I believe he ran another four, right around a four three. He so it looks four, like that's what he is. Yeah. I still have major questions about his running ability and his polish, how polished he is as a receiver. So I'm still not sold on him as a first-rounder. Right now, people are mocking him in the late first. I just don't see that happening. I think he goes second round. Michael Floyd, he's rising. He might actually end up overtaking Justin Blackman, depending on how fast Justin, Justin Blackman runs tomorrow at the Oklahoma State Pro Day. If there's one Pro Day to watch tomorrow, I'd say it's the Oklahoma State one with Justin Blackman running and Brandon Whedon throwing. I know Baylor has theirs, but we already know what Robert Griffin III is. Another guy that's rising out of the combine is Dontari Poe. He's solidly in the top 20 now, probably top 15. He had a monstrous pro day, but he's another guy that I have serious questions about. One player who has seemed to be rising the last couple of days or so out of his pro day is Illinois defensive end outside linebacker Whitney Merciless. From all reports that I've gotten, is he looks very solid going through his workout. He looks he looks very natural standing up in uh, outside linebacker drills. And he's somebody that a lot of teams are there interested to see. I know the Patriots had their heads up there 
watching him. Their head scout really goes. His name's John Robinson. He checks out all the defensive ends and outside line linebacker conversions. So he was there checking out to see if Whitney Merciless can actually stand up in the NFL. From all accounts, she had a really good three cone time, uh, 7.03. He ran a 4.49 uh, short shuttle. I think he stood on his 40 yard dash time. So he's somebody that is rising. AJ Jenkins, the wide receiver from Illinois, he had another great pro day. I think his stock is solidified to a fourth round receiver, which is probably two rounds higher than it was prior to the combine. Enough riser coming out of the combine, I'd have to say, is Luke Keekley, the Boston College linebacker. I will be at the Boston College Pro Day two weeks from today, and I'm anxious to see what he even does. He had an unbelievable combine, and I think he'll stand on most of his numbers. And then lastly, a guy I'll touch on quickly is Stephen Gilmore, the cornerback from South Carolina. From all reports, it looks like he's now the consensus number three cornerback available in the draft. He's a bigger cornerback, six foot and a half, about two, right around 200 pounds. And he's somebody, actually, more like 190. I think he weighed in at, he's a little less than 200 pounds. He's got long arms. He played mostly zone coverage at South Carolina. But he's somebody that's kind of a ball hawk. He, he's more of a physical cornerback. He can come up and hit. And I think teams in the middle of the first round are going to love him. He had great numbers across the board, and his stock is still rising. And then there's some lower-level guys we'll get into a little bit later. But those are the big-name guys that are rising right now. Mike, I want to put the ship in neutral real quick. We want to talk about some of these risers. As far as Michael Floyd, I agree completely. He was at the Combine. You know, I'd watched the film. I'd, I'd done my studies, but, you know, obviously we'd hope to see him at the senior bowl and he, he did get the invite he chose not to attend for whatever reason um, but seeing him at the combine was just a true pleasure he rocketed himself up to the absolute top of my wide receiver draft boards it, not only because of the way that you know the, what a what a hands catcher he was but i have never seen a wide receiver live in in person get that much torque off of his initial cuts into and out of routes. He, he looked absolutely amazing in the gauntlet drill. He looked fantastic in the 10, in, in the 10 and the, in, in the, I'm sorry, in the 10 and the 15 yard dig drills. He was, he, he was outstanding. I'm not surprised that all the scouts that I talked to afterwards had, you know, were completely astounded by his workout, followed up by, you know, hopefully the, the good pro day. As far as Dontari Poe, he's a guy that Byron and I loved coming into this deal. Got to interview the man. He, he, he smart, smart dude. Real competitive spirit. I was wondering though, I've watched film on him. All right, we know that Memphis's defense was absolutely horrible. Okay, and there might be question marks about why a prospect like that, 346 pounds, sub 540. You know, unbelievable bend, unbelievable cone drills, unbelievable bag drills. Why a guy, 44, what was it, 44 reps on the bench? Why a guy yep, like this? 44. Why a guy like this ends up at Memphis? Why he goes there? You know, level of competition. But the film I watched, he was getting consistently double teamed, triple teamed, sometimes quadruple teamed when they would send the fullback in there. It, you said that you had some serious questions about him. It, did, did it have to do with. The, 
with the whole Memphis thing about the level of competition, what is it you see fundamentally where you have questions about the guy? As far as I can see, he's a surefire talent. For somebody that is, that is as athletic as him and as, as strong as him, playing in the Sun Belt Conference that just was up against poor teams week in and week out, he's a player that should be much more dominant than he was. I mean, looking at his numbers, I know he faced some double teams and triple teams at times, but from tapes I've seen, his motor's not always running. He doesn't chase the play down like these other guys. And you might be able to get away with that stuff at the University of Memphis in a conference that like, he, like he does, that he plays in. But that's not going to apply at the NFL level. Technically, he does have questions about the way he plays technically. You know, I mean, for somebody that's as fast and as, as explosive as he is, he's not a very good pass rusher. You would expect him to be a better pass rusher than he is. You'd expect him to be really just bull rushing and destroying guys more than he was. And he wasn't. His stats do not, I mean, his stats, 26 I mean, 18 solo tackles, 15 assists, so 23 total tackles. He only had one sack this whole entire season. I mean, those numbers should be much better than they are for a player that tested as good as Dontari Poe tested. Now, um, yeah, with him, it's all about projectability. Somebody's going to put him in their system. They're going to coach him up and take his athleticism and strength and hope they can turn him into a pro bowler. Sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. But the last player that we saw have these types of measurables was Ndamukong Sue, who ended up going number two to the Detroit Lions. But he was a dominant, he was the most dominant defensive lineman I've seen come out of college in a long, long time. And Poe played against a lot lower level of competition, and I just didn't see that dominant force that he should have been putting up those numbers. Well, I, I feel like it's a little bit of a coin flip. It's, it seems like every single year there's some defensive tackle that rises to the top of the draft and gets drafted in the top 10 or 15 that turns out to be a bust. Half these guys are lazy after they get in the league. They were lazy before they got in the league. They're they on themselves out. Guys. It's all It's a lot of the same concern with these guys. I mean, the fact is, those guys are consistently still drop, drafted at those positions because there's a premium there. Poe, like you said, is showing numbers like a guy like Sue, which is unbelievable. So that's where my opinion comes in, especially with them not franchising Red Bryant. I think Pete Carroll, a master motivator and defensive specialist, takes solves the problem of this guy's on-off switch lack of motor, brings him in, plugs him in, and I see him being a pick for the Seahawks. So it's right there in that 10 to 15 range that Mike's talking about. It's mm -hmm. to a team that could use him you know, on their line, and it's to a coach who is confident they can motivate him. And my question is this, and I'll ask Mike. If that scenario were to come to fruition... Would Dontari Poe be the first defensive lineman off the board? Um, well, besides Clinton Copels, I think Copels will go ahead of uh, any right. defensive I'm sorry. tackle. I, I should clarify. The interior defensive line. Like, would he go before a Brockers? A, yeah, a yeah I, think, I think he's going to go before Brockers. Like I wrote today in an article I have coming up tomorrow talking about potential picks for the New England Patriots. 
Rogers saw it to me, it's going to end, it's settled a little bit already, and I think it's going to further settle down and kind of end up where it's supposed to be, and somewhere in between 20 and 30. Once Rogers into the draft, he kind of unfairly shot right to the top of boards, and now I think scouts and other people have had a chance to further evaluate him. So I think Paul, he's got a lot of momentum right now, and somebody's going to take a chance on that frame and that, you know, athleticism. The only defensive lineman I could see or defensive tackle going before Don Tyree Poe is Fletcher Cox, who's another player that's on the rise. Prior to the combine, it looked like he was right around the 20, 25 area. Now it looks like he's going to be off the board by pick 20, maybe even pick 15. I, and, and listen, we all love Fletcher Cox. I believe, Mike, that we're all on the same page. We see him projected as, as the Bengals using one of their first, uh, uh, one of their two first-round picks on, on a guy like Cox. Yeah, he's going to be attracted to a lot of teams. He can play multiple positions. He's really a destructive force in the middle. He's a really good athlete for his size. He was somebody that really used his athleticism and his size to be an ultra-productive. I believe he was defensive player of the week in the SEC three times this week, I mean this year, which is pretty tough to do. I mean, he blocks kicks. He's somebody that's feeling is just ultra-high. I think he could be a fit for a team like the Seahawks as well. I think he can fit a number of teams in that top 20. Well, hey, so while we're talking defensive linemen, an interesting characteristic of this draft is that, you know, the general consensus is it's a very weak draft as far as pass rushers, outside linebackers in the 3-4, traditional deep pass rushing defensive ends in the 4-3. You know, everybody pretty much has question marks. And so I'm curious if, you know, and – there's a lot of teams that need pass rushers, that need defensive ends, that need outside linebackers. There's a big need there um, in the NFL for that. So in a situation in a year where there seems like it's a little bit void of that talent in this draft, for a guy like Merciless to come in and have a great pro day, does his stock artificially rise because of the because of how scarce that position is in this draft, I mean, or is you know, how, how does that shake out, Mike? And would you consider him a reach if somebody if somebody takes him, you know, starts thinking about him in the middle of the first round? Well, we always see these premium positions arrive. They always go before. They always go higher than people think. You know, the defensive ends and pass rushers tend to go early. The elite cornerbacks go early. We always see that there's a run on tackles during the draft, and then the quarterbacks, they always go for it. Those are the four premium positions that get the big bucks in the NFL. I mean, someone like Marcellus, he's going to be in the discussion. You know, there's kind of a – Quentin Copels right now is kind of the standalone guy. He's standing by himself as that elite high-ceiling pass rusher just because of his size and his athleticism, although I'm not sure the ceiling is as high as people might think it is. But then you're going to be in the discussion of guys like Nick Perry, who had a pro day today at USC. From where I saw, I, all I was able to gather was from watching past the back on NFL Network. People were saying he looks kind of stiff. You know, he's not going to be able to probably stand up as well as people thought he would. So he's somebody that's probably going to go in the 20s. Then you have Ingram, whose stock is rising right now. I think Melvin Ingram goes in the top 20. And Courtney Upshaw is somebody I want to touch on a little bit later. I th- I'd like to talk about him in a little bit. But Merciless, I think anywhere from 25 to 35 is his range. 
and I don't think he'd be a reach of that area at all. He, had, he was just dominant this year at Illinois. I mean, he's somebody that was only had one year of production, but he's got the size. He's put up the numbers measurably wise. There, you know, warrant a first-round pick. And he's somebody that's really just scratching the surface of his potential, I feel like. Yeah, and, and that's the, you know, that's either been the knock on Merciless or the, you know, or the, or the thing that people kind of like about him is the fact that, you know, I got to address him and, and ask about this whole one-year wonder deal. You know, he, he had one very productive year. And uh, it's, it, you know, he, he just simply answered that numbers don't lie and you don't, and you don't just fall on, you know, 16 sacks. So as far as guys who are rising, those are the risers. Those are the guys who we think I'd like to, you know, I'd like to throw in one more guy. Uh, Greg Childs uh, at the Arkansas Pro Day really showed up. Uh, you know, he, he, he ran better, jumped better, did everything better than what he had done at the Combine. Uh, he's a guy who you should definitely keep your eye on. Had he not had the patellar tendon injury at the end of 2010 that really screwed up the whole beginning of the 2011 season uh, for him, he would have been coming out as a junior with Mallet. He would have been a very highly heralded prospect. So... Uh, that's a guy who's definitely jumping up boards, getting into, you know, maybe third-round territory. And the same territory is possibly one of his teammates who could be a faller, a guy who we love. Can we start out by talking a little bit, Mike, about why on earth Joe Adams keeps running a 4-5-5? Probably because I felt fast he is. I mean... You know, people, there's track fast athletes and there's football fast people. All you need to do is turn on the film with Joe Adams. I'll actually be talking with Joe Adams on Monday, and I'll ask him about it. But Joe Adams plays faster than he runs. He's more quick than fast. All you got to do is type in Joe Adams' punt return. You can watch him against Tennessee. You can watch him in the Cotton Bowl, how explosive of a punt returner he is. You know, you don't need to run a 4-3-0 to be a productive receiver at the NFL level. He's probably just as fast in pads as he is running out of pads. And you have guys like Nick Toon, Marvin McNutt, all Dwight Jones, who run these 4-4 four, four times. But you, when they put on the pads, they don't play anywhere nearly as fast as that. So a guy like Kendall Wright, who ran a, on paper a 4-6, or a guy like Joe Adams who on paper ran a 4-5, those times are lower than that, first of all, and then they play faster than that. So the fourth time, especially this year, you can just take them and throw them out. So as far as, you know, do you consider – I brought in the segment about the fallers with Joe Adams. I think that, you know, we can all agree that as far as what we were expecting, he might not have showed up with exactly what we expected – not necessarily how far he's falling down, you know, industry boards right now. Who knows? But as far as the guys who you feel are falling, who 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 really tops your list? Well, I think I think Joe Adams will probably go somewhere in third. Uh, maybe that's falling a little bit from uh, maybe where the second round people had him. But he's not one of the big guys that I have falling down the boards. Just briefly, a guy that I think. Uh, is going to fall a little bit is Jonathan Martin, the tackle from Stanford. I just see players that, you know, I just don't think he's a top 10, top 15 tackle. I see a couple of holes in his game, you know. 
the way he redirects, is kind of, I don't really like that way. He gets beat inside a lot, and he can be overpowered. He needs to get stronger. And I just see some holes in his game that he needs to work on. But in the first late first round, he's a good. I wouldn't mind that. Um, I actually think somebody that everybody loves, Courtney Upshaw. I think the last couple weeks have been pretty brutal for him. He looks really out of place and stiff going through linebacker drills at the combine. So now people are starting to think maybe he can't play linebacker in the 3-4 at the pros. You know, if somebody gets 270 pounds, you know, maybe he is only a defensive end at the next level. He's somebody that I think his stock is artificially inflated to the top 10 or 12 picks. I think he's going to go somewhere closer to 20. And you never know, maybe even more than that once it's all said and done. You know, going into the end of the year, Corbett Shaw looked like a late first-round pick. He's one of those pass rushers whose stock gets inflated because it's a premium position. But his numbers really don't jive with one of the premium pass rushers. He's more of that all-around, set-the-edge, play-downhill, 3-4 outside linebackers, and not really that edge rusher type, although he can rush the passer decently. Well, and that's why I'm surprised you you actually you know said that the concerns where he looked out of place at outside linebacker is because out of the, after the Senior Bowl watching him play defensive end, I didn't think he looked natural there at all, especially from a pass rushing perspective. And you're not putting him there or drafting him that high to be a run stopper. So, you know, I was expecting more to be a plug in in some type of linebacker position. But now if the scuttlebutt is that he's not going to be that comfortable there and then his, his stock is high because he's an Alabama guy, potentially the success they had. I mean, I, I, I was looking at him at the Chargers, maybe like you said, down close to around 20, but you think there's a chance he well, can even let's, fall let's, further let's, than let's, that? Let's, 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 let's just let's tap the brakes a little bit. I, I've had the opportunity to talk with Cordy Upshaw numerous times this draft season, both at the Senior Bowl and at the and at the Combine. Uh, you know, whenever I've asked him at the Combine, he verified what we basically all know. He, he's had his hand in a he's he's had his hand down in the dirt in a in a four three and all kinds of sub packages that Alabama ran mainly on third downs. He's comfortable there. Mike Mayock says that you know. Through the lower portion of his body, he's a little bit thicker, which might lend better to his ability to be a to be a, a, a four three rusher. But that being said, I don't think the fact that he is just a menace. I think that that's just something that that's something that these rushers have in them. And 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 he's a guy who is he's a guy who's a menace. He gets in the backfield. He gets a lot of action back there. And and even on third downs, he was rushing the passer. He was getting back there, coming out of a four-three. I don't think he's a guy that necessarily needs to stand up, and his body is, you know, as Mike's saying, could be a little bit more suited to the to the inside. If he falls, he falls. But I think a team will be getting a steal. I don't. Yeah, I, and let, let me let me just say that just because he doesn't look natural going through these drills doesn't mean that he can't do it and won't do it in the pros. It's just that you know, there's some other guys right now that look like they're going to be more natural converting from the defensive end to the outside linebacker position. And, you know, I mean, Courtney Epster is somebody that I've loved this whole process. And, you know, I, I, think, I think his stock was a little bit inflated to the top 10. I don't think he's a top 10 or 15 pick. I think his value is more near 20, and I just think that that's where he deserves to go. I think, it, I think it's spot on, Mike. After we've looked at it, I, 
That's that's exactly how I feel too. Um, what what other what other guys do you think? I mean, do you think are you know falling right now? Was there, has there anybody that's had a particularly bad pro day so far that you'd want to key in on, or is it still just combine performances? Top the ball with the pro days, you know, there's still many of them each day. Just some guys that I think are kind of heading in the wrong direction. I will say one definitely Leonard Johnson from Iowa State. He ran an abysmal 4-7 time of the combine. People, I actually like Leonard Johnson at the senior bowl. He's not going to be one of these speed cornerbacks. He's going to be a, a physical press in your face, come up and hit you cornerback. But that 4-7 time, that's going to drop him at least one or two rounds. Just because if you can't run and turn in the NFL, you're going to be susceptible at outside cornerback position. So he's probably going to have to play inside. Another guy that's slipping, at least on my board, is Dwayne Allen, the uh, tight end from Clemson. You know, he's, he's a similar size to Orson Charles. He only weighed in at uh, four pounds heavier than him. And he ran almost a 4-9 at the combine. He's somebody that they haven't been really high on all year. And I think he got exposed a little bit through these drills to somebody that's not as explosive as he is. I think his stock is heading in the wrong direction. I think Dwight Jones, a receiver from North Carolina, starts in a free fall. I really haven't been a fan of his all year long. He's looked I terrible. He, hey, he's looked awful. He's I mean, looked we're, terrible. We're, and then I, I hate to say it. I hate to say it because I like him as a kid. I, I like his group. He is looks lackadaisical in every single thing that he does. It looks like he's running in slow motion. I don't even know what's up with it. Hey, do you guys do you guys think though with the running back depth in this draft that I feel like have have uh Miller and Wilson fallen out of that first round area that everybody were pegging them for late first round early second round? I don't that, That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. I think they are falling a little bit. I don't see any way that they go in the first round anymore. Just because there's going to be other guys, we see these guys are already getting pushed up the board. Running backs are going to go in the second and third round and fourth round. I don't see Wilson or Miller going in the first round. I actually could see them slipping to the middle of the second round. I just don't see them going in the first round just because it's not a premium position. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to harken back to one quick point that Mike made about L, uh, L.J. Leonard Johnson out of Iowa State. And yes, the time was abysmal, and he, you know, what excuses can you make for it? But I will say this. I did ask every single wide receiver that I interviewed at the Combine who the toughest DB that they faced was in their college career or at the Senior Bowl for the participants there. And the response that I overwhelmingly got was actually Janoris Jenkins while he was at Florida. Got that from probably five different five different wide, wide receivers. There's three or four others said Leonard Johnson. And then there was, you know, a couple of others that had an array of responses. But that just goes to show me that LJ, he, I, he's tough. He's a press guy. They say he's physical. Uh, you know, they say that he talks a lot of trash. He kind of reminds you of one of these shorter, more squatty, kind of safety-ish corners. Like, in, maybe, Mike, do you think maybe like an Ellis Hobbs or something like that? Or is that or is that too lofty a comparison? No. Ellis Hobbs, was, he was a fast guy. He ran in the 4-4s, four maybe in the 4-3s. He was a kick returner. Yeah, we got to talk. Well, James Christensen, who run, owns and runs New England Patriots.com, he's based out of Iowa, and he asked Justin Blackman point blank after the Iowa State, after Iowa State beat Oklahoma State, 
who the best cornerback he faced was. And Justin Blackman was just raving about Leonard Johnson, saying how physical he was and he was the best corner he faced. So just because he's going to run slow doesn't mean, like we saw upshot, doesn't mean they can't do it at the pros. It's just going to hurt his stock. He's not going to go in the second. I can tell you right now he's not going to go in the second round because four or seven cornerbacks don't go in the second round. It's just that is a huge question mark with that time. Hey, when you're when you are on when you are a pirate on the seas, you're always steering the ship, looking for treasure. <laughs> Here at Roster Watch, it's all about our fantasy football fans. We're trying to deliver you the biggest treasures there are, and one gem that I want to talk about on our way out is our guy Hill from Georgia Tech. We know Mike Licko touched on him earlier. He's a riser. I think he's a guy you've got to look out for next year, especially in your keeper leagues. And what I want to know is what kind of impact can he have as a rookie? And the obvious comparison is going to be to Demarius Thomas because they're from the same system, who has been ultra sick in the NFL when when healthy. Mike, can you please expand on this for our listeners? Because I firmly believe this is a guy that we need to start keying in on. I'd say the absolute ceiling for Stephen Hill next year would be what Torrey Smith did this year for the Baltimore Ravens, which really is a one-row runner, just run straight downfield and have the quarterback throw you the ball. He's not going to be able to do much more than that right away, especially if he goes to a team like the Patriots or the Packers or the Saints, a team that runs these complex passing systems with option routes and based off the coverage of the defense throwing at him. He just wasn't asked to do that stuff at Georgia Tech. He's not going to be able to come in right away and run these crisp option routes and, you know, check with me that some of these other receivers, maybe like a Michael Floyd who has more experience route running, is going to be able to do. So absolute ceiling, I would say, is what Torrey Smith did this year, but maybe even not that much. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. We are here with Mike Loiko of anypatriotsdraft.com. This is roster watch. This is fantasy season. This is off season. This is draft season. This is everything that you need to know to keep an eye on your personal roster whenever your fantasy football season comes to fruition and wins you a championship just like it did for everybody else last season. Thank you to the hundreds of thousands of viewers of our site this month. Thank you to the tens of thousands of listeners worldwide to our podcast. Please check out nepatriotsdraft.com. See what Mike Boyko is doing. And as always, stay tuned to rosterwatch.com for the new tools that we're rolling out, for the new expansion that we're rolling out, for everything that we have going on to make sure that you are most informed. Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the universe, fantasy footballers, draft geese, Caesars, weirdos, we...